Pam, thank you very much for your solo work today. And thank you, choir, for that beautiful anthem this morning. I pray that that blessed you. It has blessed me this morning. Our gospel lesson today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. I invite you to turn to it and follow along if you'd like as I read verses 1 through 7, verse 8, and then a portion of verse 9. Hear God's word. Jesus speaking to his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Or trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am coming there to prepare a place for you? Going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas, we know him as Doubting Thomas, one of his disciples, said to Jesus, Lord, We don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father And that will be enough for us. And then Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, amen. In the Webster's Dictionary, the definition of trust is a firm belief of confidence in the honesty, integrity, reliability, or justice of another person or thing. It also means to have faith in someone or something. I want to have a trusting faith. I want to grow in my faith that I can trust God and his purpose and plan for my life. And I bet that you think the same. Teams of all kinds do trust building. We want to trust the people we work with or the people we're on the ball field with or perhaps the people we serve alongside in our organizations. I always remember back in college, I served on the Student Government Association and we did some leadership training and and leadership development on the college's ropes course. Part of the ropes course uh, was a trust-building exercise called the trust log. It was a telephone pole. I can't remember if it was five, six feet off the ground, but it was in the ground, and you would get on a little ladder and climb up on top of the pole, and then you would stand there, Karate Kid-like. You remember that movie where you're standing on the pier, And then all of your teammates are behind you and they're across from one another with their arms interlocked forming like a net, a safety net. And then you have to just let go and fall completely backwards 
hoping that your college buddies, in my case, are going to catch you. And finally, I got up enough nerve, and I let go, went back, and they caught me. And then the others took turns, and we all were able to learn how better to trust one another. Sometimes trust is hard. Sometimes it's scary. When my 13-year-old was little and learning to swim, we would go to the community pool where we used to live before we moved down here. And she finally got to where she wanted to get to the edge of the pool. And I was in the water, and I would say, Daddy's here. I'll catch you. Don't be afraid. I'm right here. I'm going to catch you. And she would get to the edge of the pool, and then she would back off. And then she would come to the edge, her little toes curling up over the edge of the pool wall, and she would back off. And then finally, I'll always remember when she jumped and I caught her, and she realized that she could trust what I was saying was true. And then it was, do it again, Daddy. Do it again, Daddy. Do it again, Daddy. We see trust built in a number of ways. I'm convinced that one of the ways that child's, uh, children's trust is developed, trust in God is developed in church, is not only through their family, but through their extended church family. And we've already seen an ex examples of how that happens as we have dedicated two new little ones today. But I believe that our nursery workers play a crucial role in the faith development of our little ones. I believe, and so does our staff and our church leadership, that if babies and toddlers experience a safe and nurturing place, then it prepares the way for them to experience a loving and nurturing God. Some of you might not be familiar with our program here at HRBC. It's called Extended Teaching Care, ETC. And that's where our children are now who are not here in the worship service up through uh, kindergarten, up until they get to kindergarten age, and then they worship here in the sanctuary with us. Our volunteers serve to provide a safe and nurturing environment to give them an example of what it means to be loved and known by God. We believe that when they receive this kind of care in the nursery, that they will be more apt to develop, the, to develop a trust of the God whose church this is. This same confidence and assurance that we instill in our children helps us as we grow in our faith and provides comfort for us as we face the storms and the difficulties in this world. You remember that Jesus told his disciples that this world would have trouble. He said, in this world you will have trouble, not if but when. And he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then in that night, on that night that he gathered with his disciples, it was the night that he was betrayed. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message version of the Bible. He says, don't just let this throw you. Don't let this throw you, meaning the troubles, you trust God, don't you? And then Jesus said, trust me. If you trust in God, then trust me. The background for this passage that we read just a few moments ago 
is part of a greater section of the Gospel of John, which is known as Jesus' Farewell Discourse, chapters 13 through 17. I encourage you on your own time this week to read that section of scriptures. It's the Thursday of the last week of Jesus' life on earth, which was the Jewish Friday. And Jesus gathers with his disciples in an upper room there in Jerusalem, and he partakes of the Passover meal with them, And then he rebukes their jealousy, making sure that they're not competing with one another. He partakes of the meal and then points out his betrayer. And after Judas departs, he reminds the disciples that they should not desert him, that he warns them. And then he institutes the memorial meal we know as the Lord's Supper. And then he brings this farewell discourse in chapter 14. In chapter 15, he then leads the disciples out to the Mount of Olives and then toward the Garden of Gethsemane. But here in chapter 14, this passage in particular is helping the disciples to be prepared for the what's next because Jesus would no longer physically be with them. He would be with them in spirit. Someday he would come again and he's preparing a place for them, but he's also preparing them for the life that was to come. Not only does he remind them that in his father's house there are many rooms, he gives them a glimpse of the next life, but he also, and I believe, gives them guidance for this life, their life then and in the days and weeks and years to come. I believe this passage helps us in this life, that we are able to develop a trusting faith in God so as to bear witness to God and his son in this life, that prepares us for that which is to come. In in some sense, we are on the way to a trusting faith. It is a life journey of discipleship. It doesn't happen in one day or one instance. It is working out our salvation, as perhaps the Apostle Paul writes. On the way to this trusting faith, Jesus first meets us in our fears. He met the disciples right where they were. He knew they were terrified. And in verse 1, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And the word troubled is the same word that describes waves that are tossed in the sea or chaos on the oceans, the storms, or it also can be translated uh, or understood as turbulence. And in this, he says, don't let your hearts be tossed like waves in the sea. Don't let them to be um, caused to be turbulent, but rather Trust me, he says, trust in God and trust. You trust God, don't you? Then trust me. Trust me. And then in verses 2 through 4, he gives these words of reassurance. My father's house has many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. Wouldn't I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Words of reassurance that they could trust and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. He's been telling them over and over again. But he knew they were going to miss him. He knew they would struggle. He knew their hearts were churning with anxiety and fear. Maybe... Jesus understood what we call separation anxiety. Separation anxiety often occurs in children. When mama steps out of the room, baby cries. 
when mama comes back, baby smiles. Babies and little infants don't yet have the capacity to think abstractly. They can't understand that when mommy has just stepped into the other room, that mommy is right there, that they can't think like that. They think more concretely, more black and white. And over time, when we play things like peekaboo, peekaboo, hide our face, oh, smile, peekaboo, those kinds of games and laughing and hiding a ball under a blanket and then lifting the blanket repeatedly, these kinds of things help little children to see that the object is there even though it's hidden or that a parent's face is there even though it's behind their hands playing peekaboo. Jesus knows this about us. And perhaps he knew that in his disciples, even though they were adults, were struggling with this whole idea that he was going to leave them, he would no longer be with them, but that he would come back. So Jesus is giving them these words of trust to reassure them of his presence. And they would only be able to experience it later, but he's planting the seeds on this night. In all of this, Jesus then shows us the character and nature of God. Jesus helps us to see that God is trustworthy. If God and Jesus are the same and God is trustworthy, then Jesus is trustworthy and his disciples could take hold of his words as the truth. Jesus shows us the character and nature of God. Verses 7, 8, and 9. If you really knew me, you'll know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip, one of his other disciples, said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. And then Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? He's again reassuring Philip and the other disciples that he and the Father are one and the same. Sometimes this is hard for us to grasp, but maybe my seminary professor, Dr. Cecil Sherman, can help. He writes, when we see Jesus, we get as close to a picture of God as we are going to get in this lifetime. So Jesus becomes the centerpiece of our faith, centerpiece of our faith, he is the measuring stick of our ethics, of our relationships, our theology, and our missions. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Someone said, if you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. If you want to understand what God is like, get into the Gospels and start reading the stories of Jesus. Start reading about the way he treated people, the way he loved people, the way he ministered people, the way he uh, worked with those who are doubting him, the way that he touched those who are untouchable and healed those who are deemed unclean. And you will start to see a beautiful picture of this God who is not distant and out there in the universe somewhere, but who is right here with us. Jesus is reminding his disciples that that God is available for them as they journey through the next day and the days that were ahead of them. 
Jesus continuously reminds us of this, reminds the disciples of this and us. In John 17, in his prayer, in this part of the farewell discourse, he says, I and the Father are one. He prayed that the disciples would be unified, that they would be one as he and the Father were one. And we always remember the words in the beginning of of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, meaning Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Paul reminds us that God being, that Jesus being in full nature, God, not a partial God, not half God, not a third God, but in full nature God helps us to know and trust God. If we trust that Jesus is God, then we can trust God. Jesus said, trust in God, trust also in me. When we trust Christ as Savior and Lord and trust him with our lives, Totally and completely, Jesus becomes our way in this journey, our way to God. John 14, 5 and 6. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, Thomas and the rest of the disciples, he said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him, he says. Jesus, the way to God. Way is also translated as road. The way or the road to God. Jesus, the personification of truth. Jesus embodying what is right and just and fair in this world. And Jesus, the center of life, way, truth, life. And the word life, as we spoke of last week, is not bios life, like a biology teacher would use to describe everyday life in the animals and the fishes and the birds and the trees. But this Greek word is zoe life, not bios, but zoe life. And speaking of the spiritual life, the uncreated life, that which was from the beginning that we are given through Jesus Christ as a gift from God. Jesus said, I am the bread of Zoe, the bread of life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, Zoe. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, Zoe. Jesus, all who believe would not perish but have everlasting Zoe life. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the Zoe life, the spiritual life, the way to eternal life. Three of the I am statements, and there are seven of them in the Gospel of John, include the promise of Zoe life. And all we have to do is believe, is trust him. And his word is trustworthy. And it's true. You might say, well, Pastor Bob, I hear you saying that, but how do I know that for myself? And all I can tell you is that you've got to discover it. Read the scriptures, talk to other people who believe, worship, get into a Bible study, and seek to know God through Jesus Christ, to know him more and more. All I can say to you is what I've experienced. I can tell you the difference that God has made in my life. 
that his son Jesus has helped me to overcome. I can say that he has helped strengthen our marriage, that Christ has helped strengthen our parenting, that Christ has helped us to know the way that we are to make decisions uh, in our family and financially and career and all of these things. I can tell you what a difference he made when I was a teenager having accepted Christ as personally as my Savior in my sophomore year of high school and subsequently baptized. I can only testify how he has worked in my life. And as best as I understand it, Jesus is the way and the truth and the, the life, the Zoe life providing eternal life in heaven to all those who believe. And at the end of the day, I want you to know him. He wants you to know him. And when you know Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit, the scriptures say that we are each given unique gifts through which we can serve the church and the greater community around us. In verse 12 of chapter 14, in his discourse with Philip, who had asked the, follow, the second question, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Can you imagine that? Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus limited himself as one man. He could have used his supernatural powers to the greatest extent, but limited himself to become a person and took the form of a servant and willingly suffered and died on the cross. But when he died and rose and then ascended to be with the Father and poured out his spirit, amazing and miraculously, people all around the world were given power to do greater things. So now there's about a third of the world's population who claim to be Christian. Imagine what was in one man, Jesus, when he dwelt on this earth. Now through the Holy Spirit manifested over a third of the world to do his work. Can you imagine the potential that exists around each church all over the world if we grasp hold of this concept that we are equipped to do greater things in the name of Jesus Christ to make this world a better place wow seems so simple doesn't it the concept is simple but the work is hard but he's called us We just have to follow his commands. What are his commands, Pastor Bob? He summed it up in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, first. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine if one-third of the world's population really did that. What kind of a world could this be? That's why I want to grow a more trusting faith. Because I want my daughter to grow up in a world that's a better place. Would you pray with me?